0: When I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Making my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome Here. in, everybody. At yeah. Episode 4. Uh, yes, the of ready to the podcast. It is Souping America, the AirTour Sports Podcast. It is Monday. January 31st, 2022, people, I hope everybody's doing well, I hope everybody is having a great start to their Monday, and I hope everybody is ready for a loaded edition of the tour Sports Podcast. Here's what we're going to do today. Really fun show, really exciting show, really, I don't want to say a different show, because it's actually very similar to what we did last week on Monday, and what I want to do is I want to lead with the NFL. Last week, we had four great divisional round games. I kind of gave you just initial reactions to all four of those games. Today, we are going to do the same. Cincinnati, KC in the AFC, San Francisco, Los Angeles in the NFC. The Super Bowl is set. You guys and girls all spend all day Sunday on the couch at the bar with your friends watching these games. And so there's no reason that I'm going to pretend like they didn't happen. So we'll start with the NFL. We'll start with the two games. I'll just give you some kind of initial thoughts on both of these games as the Super Bowl is now set. Two weeks from uh, yesterday, we will have a Super Bowl, Cincinnati versus Los Angeles. Who could have predicted that in the preseason? And then from there, we will talk a little college hoops. Obviously, the big one, Kentucky taking care of Kansas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Talk about that one. We'll talk a little bit about some of the other Big 12 SEC Challenge results Maybe talk a little bit about one team that was not involved in the Big 12 SEC Challenge that I feel like is completely being overlooked on the national scale, and we'll get out of here. We'll have ourselves a nice little Monday episode, we'll have some fun, we'll talk some sports, and then we will call it a day. So with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is Super Bowl 56 is set. That is right. Los Angeles, California, two weeks from yesterday as you listen. And if you had Bengals, Rams in the preseason, in the Super Bowl, all I could say is this. You, sir, you young lady, you're a pathological liar. There's 0% chance that you had Bengals versus Rams in the preseason, yet here we are. The Super Bowl will be decided a few weeks from now, and the Bengals and Rams, Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford, Sean McVay and Zach Taylor, Uh, Odell Beckham and Jamar Chase, on and on and on, two SEC quarterbacks, two LSU star receivers, two young NFL head coaches, the Super Bowl is set, and I'm not going to lie, I'm excited, I like sports, I don't claim to be an NFL expert, but as I did last week, you guys and girls all watch this game, so why the heck wouldn't I talk about it on Monday's show? And so let's get into it, let's talk about it, let's discuss, let's debate. Obviously, I want to start with the, uh, it's not obvious, but I want to start with the second game first. The second game being the Los Angeles Rams taking care of the San Francisco 49ers. Weird game, wild game, the Los Angeles Rams take care of business, 22-17 at SoFi Stadium. Bizarre game where the 49ers, call me crazy, guys and girls, and I, I, I might be crazy, Call me crazy, but it just felt like the 49ers were in complete control of this game for most of the game. All of a sudden you look up, all of a sudden the Rams are rallying, all of a sudden they score 13 straight points in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden the Los Angeles Rams are going to the Super Bowl. And when I look at this Rams team, and we'll get to the 49ers in a minute, but to the victors go the spoils, and I do want to start with the winning team, the winning locker room, and that, in this case it is the Los Angeles Rams. And when I see this Rams team I think about something that I talk about often on this show, and something I actually talked about when the Rams actually traded for Odell Beckham about three, four, five weeks ago, whatever it was, probably a little bit longer than that now, maybe six, eight weeks ago, but if you remember, I talked about the fact that when the loss, say I happened to be on air, I happened to be recording when the Rams traded for Odell Beckham, and I talked about it a little bit, and what I said was, the thing that I love about the Rams, I don't know if it'll work, I don't know if it won't work. But the thing that I love about the Los Angeles Rams is that the Los Angeles Rams go for it. And to me, in life, there are two types of people, there are two types of organizations, there are two types of families, couples, whatever. There are those that go for it, those that take big swings, those that are aggressive, and those that are not. And if you're just not one of those, there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing nothing wrong if you like your job and you like your community and you like your this and you like your that. But at least in sports, I like my teams to be aggressive. I like them to be fearless. I don't necessarily like them to be reckless, but if there is a plan, I have no problem with a school, a football program, a basketball program, an NFL organization, an NBA organization being fearless and going for it and trying to win now. Because in sports, there are no guarantees. We're going to talk about it in a minute, right? Kansas City, we thought they were going to a fourth straight Super Bowl, then Joe Burrow walked in the room and said, or four, a third straight Super Bowl, and then Joe Burrow walked in the room. And so to me, there are no guarantees in life. There is no guarantee that you'll ever be back. And so what I have always respected about the Rams since they got to Los Angeles is that they have been a fearless organization. And I believe that that fearlessness is what led them to a win on, on Sunday to go to the Super Bowl and I'm not saying that the fearlessness is exactly what led them there, but they wouldn't have been in this position, they wouldn't have had the opportunity, and they wouldn't be headed to the Super Bowl if it was not for kind of an organization-wide ethos, right? And to go back a few weeks, and I think I talked about this a little bit with Odell, I do think the Rams are in kind of a unique position, right? They moved to Los Angeles, I don't know, four, five, six years ago, whatever it was, And they moved to Los Angeles into a very crowded sports market. The Lakers are established. The Dodgers are established. The USC football is established. UCLA basketball is established. I live in Los Angeles. And I'm going to tell you, when they decided to bring the first NFL team, let alone the second one, the Chargers, with Justin Herbert and all these guys that weren't even there at the time, I said, like, I don't know if the NFL is going to work in L.A. simply because there's so much going on in L.A. And so I bring it up because I give the Rams credit. They realize they're coming into a crowded sports market. They are coming into a place that already has the Lakers established, already has the Dodgers established. And oh, by the way, all of these organizations, all of these teams have gotten better since the Rams got here. Dodgers have won a World Series. Lakers have won an NBA title. Lakers have added LeBron. Clippers have added Kawhi. USC football, by the way, just hired Lincoln Riley. UCLA is coming off a Final Four. And since the Rams have gone to LA, they have basically realized, look, there is no five, six, seven year plan in Los Angeles. There is no tearing this thing down and rebuilding it from the ground up. There is no doing what, you know, I don't know, I can't even think of a good example of this right now. We live in 20, you know, whatever it was at the time, 2017, 2018, 2019, it is now 2022. You have to be aggressive. You have to be fearless. You cannot wait. Because if you wait, there's no guarantees. And so from the beginning, the Rams have been aggressive. And what's crazy about this specific Ram team was, it feels like that aggressiveness has been pushed into overdrive over the last year for one simple reason. It is because the Super Bowl is set to be played in Los Angeles. And so I have stood back from a distance. Again, don't claim to be an NFL expert, but I watch, I observe, I'm interested in what's going on and what's happening and why is it happening. And the one thing you can't deny about the Rams is that they have been fearless in trying to build a team that's going to win right now, because they know that they they can't wait four, five, six years. They have to build a team that LA is interested in, that people want to attend, that people want to see, because again, Lincoln Riley's about to have it rolling at USC. LeBron's got it. you know, I don't know what's going on with LeBron and the Lakers, but LeBron and the Lakers are interesting. The Dodgers are always in contention. But it has been in overdrive over the last couple weeks, over the last couple months, over the last year or so, and it kind of all came together on Sunday, right? And I'm not saying that that fearlessness and that aggressiveness and they traded everybody for everything, and that's the only reason that they won on Sunday. Because if you just go back and look at what happened on Sunday, here's the bottom line. Two best players on the field for the Rams... We're not guys that they went out and got and traded a million draft picks for. It was Cooper Cup who was drafted by the by the team three, four, five years ago. Cooper Cup was awesome, like he always was. I thought there was a legitimate case for Cooper Cup as MVP. I don't think he's going to win it, but you have him on defense. You have Aaron Donald. Both those guys were drafted by the Rams, so you can't credit too much of the aggressiveness on exactly what happened on the field on Sunday. But what you also can't deny is that the moves that have been made in the last year all came to fruition, all came to a head, all came together on Sunday that resulted in the Rams winning the the NFC to go to the Super Bowl. Just think about it. It's very ironic. As you guys guys and girls are listening today, it is January 31st, 2022. You know what happened exactly one year ago today? January 31st, 2021. The Los Angeles Rams traded Jared Goff and a million draft picks for Matthew Stafford and I'm not saying Matthew Stafford was perfect on Sunday but could Jared Goff have done what Matthew Stafford did on Sunday could Jared Goff have done what Matthew Stafford did over the course of the season because I don't know that he could Matthew Stafford on Sunday 31 of 45 two touchdowns one interception And I'm not saying he was perfect, but what I am saying was the Rams were fearless, the Rams were aggressive, the Rams realized that they weren't good enough with Jared Goff as a quarterback, and exactly one year ago today, they decided to go get Matthew Stafford, and I don't believe that Jared Goff, with the exact same roster that Matthew Stafford had, would have gotten the Rams to the Super Bowl. Could he have won the game on Sunday? Maybe, but go back a week ago. Go back to that throw that Matthew Stafford made to set up that field goal to head to the NFC Championship game. I don't think Jared Goff could have made that play, and it speaks to the Rams' aggressiveness. How about how about Odell Beckham? I just mentioned, when Odell Beckham was traded for, I did a segment here on the Air Tour Sports Podcast because I happened to have my recording equipment out, and I said, what the heck? Let's talk about this a little bit. Odell wasn't perfect on Sunday. Odell wasn't even the best receiver on the field for the Rams on Sunday. That was Cooper Cup, who, again, I think should win the MVP. But what is also indisputable... Odell Beckham has been awesome for the Rams, and Odell Beckham had his best game in years on Sunday. I don't know if they win without Odell Beckham. He obviously made that big catch. There was the targeting, 15 yards, eventually kick a field goal that ends up winning the game. But Odell Beckham on Sunday had nine catches for 113 yards. I'm going to give you a crazy stat. It was Odell Beckham's first 100-yard game since the 2019 season. That was his first season with the Cleveland Browns. It was his first nine-catch game since 2018 when he was still with the New York Giants. So again, I'm not claiming to be an NFL expert here, but my goodness, Odell freaking Beckham had the game of the last three, four, five years, and I know he's been injured, he was working with Baker, all that good stuff. I just bring it up to say, how about Odell Beckham after the biggest game and the Rams, again, went out and got him, went out and trusted their culture, trusted their locker room to keep Odell in check. Aggressive, fearless Super Bowl. And then finally, there's Von Miller too. I think I talked about Von Miller a little bit last week, but Von Miller, Von Miller was another guy. Von Miller was available. Von Miller was playing for Denver. Von Miller was basically underachieving. He was part of that defensive line that got to Jimmy G on the final play of the game, essentially, where they got to Jimmy G. Jimmy G throws the interception, and the Rams end up getting the interception, taking three knees and going to the Super Bowl. And so when I look at this Rams team, and we'll talk about the Super Bowl over the next couple weeks, but I just look at this Rams team and I just look at the aggressiveness and the fearlessness of the Los Angeles Rams. I look at the fact that exactly one year ago today, they had a team that they felt like all the other pieces were there. They went out and got Matt Stafford. Then from there, they added Odell Beckham. Then from there, they added Vaughn Miller. And now they're headed to the Super Bowl. I think it's a really cool story. I think it's really unique. I think it's really funny. I think there's probably, maybe not 31 NFL French uh, NFL NFL uh, fan bases that feel that way. But I bet there's a lot of fan bases. You're probably sitting there, guys and girls, today on this morning thinking, man, I wish my, my organization operated like that. You're a Titans fan. You're like, man, I wish my, my, my team would be willing to go get Matthew Stafford if he, if he was available. Um, You know, I, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, whoever, Giants, Jets, Patriots, whoever, give the uh, give the Rams a ton of credit. They have been fearless. I thought it was really cool, and it all came together. And again, it didn't all come together on Sunday. It wasn't this perfect confluence where Matthew Stafford throws the perfect ball to Odell Beckham for the perfect catch and Vaughn Miller makes the per- perfect play on defense. But without Matthew Stafford, without Odell Beckham, without Von Miller, without everything that they have done over the last couple years, I don't believe they are in the position where they are on Sunday. I don't believe they beat T- Tom Brady in the Bucks. By the way, I should mention, as soon as Tom Brady becomes official, we'll talk about Tom Brady. Not really much to talk about right now because he's denying the reports that came out over the weekend. But credit to the Rams who are going to the Super Bowl. Really quick, I do just want to comment very, very, very quickly on the San Francisco 49ers, let me just say this. First of all, heck of a run here for the 49ers. You look at the 49ers, I mean, it's kind of crazy what they did over the last five, six, seven weeks of the season, right? Final few weeks of the season, they won four of their final five games. Their only loss was that Thursday night game to Tennessee, which ended up with the number one seed in the AFC. San Francisco wins four out of their final five games. They don't get into the playoffs if they don't beat the Rams at SoFi Stadium to end the regular season, then they get into the playoffs, they beat Dallas, they beat Green Bay, and they are playing for an NFC Championship game on Sunday. And my only really takeaway is, listen, I know that everybody wants to criticize Kyle Shanahan, they want to criticize this, they want to say Jimmy G's that. First of all, sometimes teams just make plays to go and win a game. And this is what always drives me crazy about the media, right? You go back a week ago. You go back to when Kansas City beat Buffalo. We'll talk about Kansas City, Cincinnati in a minute. But Kansas City beats Buffalo, and immediately after the game, it comes down to, well, I mean, why didn't they squib kick? And why didn't they do this? And why didn't they do that? And blame Leslie Frazier, the Bills' defensive coordinator. It's like sometimes really good teams just go out and make plays. And so I bring that back because with the San Francisco 49ers, they had a million opportunities to win that game. I'm not going to deny it. There was obviously the late, 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 inter, the late, late, late play where the, the kid, Tart, Jaquavian Ch- Tartar, however you say his name, had the ball in his hands and couldn't hold on. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that if he makes that play, San Francisco potentially wins that game. I'm not going to lie and say if on the following play, Jimmy Ward doesn't get that 15-yard penalty, maybe San Francisco wins that game. I'm not going to lie and say that if Jimmy G doesn't throw that interception, San Francisco might win that game, although at that point they were down. I'm talking about the final few plays of the game. But I bring it up because sometimes good teams just make good plays, and that's what the Rams did late in that game. Sean McVay said it himself. They tried to give Sean McVay credit on the podium. He's like, I didn't do anything. It was the players. I talk about it all the time in college football. Kirby's smart all the time. It's not me, it's the players. And so when I look at the 49ers, everyone wants to be like, "Oh, this happened, and what about that?" and blame Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan blew another lead. And it's like, why can't the, the Rams have just made plays? Beyond that, let me say this. I want to give a quick shout out to my boy Jimmy G. And Jimmy G's tall. Jimmy G's handsome. Jimmy G doesn't need my backing. But like, does anyone win more games and put his team in position to win more games than Jimmy G and just get continually crushed? And like, to me, it goes back to a few years ago when he made the Super Bowl. Everybody remembers that Super Bowl, you lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. Jimmy G overthrows that wide receiver. And oh my goodness, Jimmy G, you can't win a Super Bowl with Jimmy G. Well, you know what I remember about that Super Bowl? I remember Jimmy G and the 49ers had a double digit lead going into the fourth quarter. And his defense couldn't get stops. And Patrick Mahomes makes multiple touchdown runs, multiple touchdown plays, and San Francisco loses that Super Bowl to KC. Fast forward two years, Jimmy G is fully healthy, and guess what happens? Goes to Dallas in the opening round of the playoffs, gets a win. Goes to Green Bay last week in the snow and gets a win. And I look at that game Sunday, and people want to crush Jimmy G. People want to crush Kyle Shanahan for another blown lead. You know what, where I'd be bad if I was a 49ers fan? You have a quarterback that has proven that he is good enough to get you to a Super Bowl. You have a quarterback that was good enough to get you to the brink of another Super Bowl. And you know what I was thinking about during that game? You know what they really could have used? Another dude on offense. Another offensive tackle. Another offensive skill position player. Debo Samuel was awesome. But they could have used another player, and why do I bring that up? It's because of the fact that the, the San Francisco 49ers had a top three pick last year. And I know they traded into the top three from wherever they were, 7, 8, 9, 10. But they were disappointing last year. Jimmy G gets hurt. They trade into the top three. And they use the top three pick on a quarterback to replace the guy that when he was healthy two years ago got you to a Super Bowl. And when he was healthy this year got you to an NFC championship game. And you know who you passed on to take Trey Lance? You passed on Jamar Chase. And you passed on Jalen Waddell. And you passed on Kyle Pitts. And you passed on Micah Parsons. And you passed on a lot of really good players in the NFL. And so when I look at San Francisco, I think they'll probably move on from Jimmy G. And it's not to say that he has zero blame for what happened on Sunday, it's not to say that he's. Josh Allen, he's Joe Burrow, he's Patrick Mahomes, he's Tom Brady, if Tom Brady's even still an NFL quarterback. It's to say that the 49ers had all the pieces, and they had they they have a quarterback that's good enough to get you to two NFC championship games in three years. What they could have used on Sunday was another skill position player, they could have used somebody outside of Debo Samuel, they could have used a playmaker, they could have used somebody. And instead, they had a top five pick that they used on a backup quarterback. All right, let's get to the other game on Sunday. And how about this? I'll tell you this, okay? So when I started this podcast and when I started my career, you know, you you, you think about all the different things that you're going to talk about on a show like this. And I know I'm mostly talking college sports on this show, and we're going to talk college basketball in a minute. We talk college football National championship, final four, preseason, transfer portal, recruiting classes, whatever. Talk about all sorts of good stuff. You know, one thing that I never thought I'd talk about on this show? How about the Cincinnati freaking Bengals going to the Super Bowl? That's right. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Zach Taylor, the boys, Eli Apple, Samaj P. Run. I could go on and on and on and on and on. Cincinnati goes to Arrowhead Stadium. Just like Joe Burrow said, he ain't afraid of the noise. He played in the SEC. And they beat Kansas City 27-24. And before we even get into the game, let me say this. Sometimes in life, you just got to own an L. And I was dead wrong on this one. I was dead wrong on this one because you can go back to Friday's show. You can go back to something I said on social media on Sunday during the game. I didn't think Cincinnati had a chance in this game. And it's not that Cincinnati isn't good. It's not that they haven't had a good season. It's that I go back two weeks ago when they won at Tennessee, and what did I say on Friday's show? I said, look, I love the Joe Burrow narrative. I love the Jamar Chase narrative. But at the same time, this was a team that went to Tennessee, to its defense's credit, forced three turnovers of Ryan Tannehill, and still needed a last-second field goal to win that game 19-16. Only touchdown of the game for Cincinnati last week was early in the first half. Don't get in the end zone from there. And so I just bring it up to say that when I looked at this game, I said this: I said you needed to turn the ball over three times. You need to force three turnovers, I should say, against Tennessee to get that win. That ain't gonna happen against Patrick Mahomes. I just don't see it happening. And to my credit, like I was kind of on the right path early, and I tweeted about it, and I got old takes exposed about it later. But I mean, I was kind of right, right? Kansas City, they're rolling early. First touchdown, first t- possession touchdown second possession, touchdown, third possession, touchdown, fourth possession to end the first half. Drive, 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 length of the field, length of the field, length of the field. In the red zone, ironically enough, with 13 seconds left. And Tony Romo even said on the broadcast, he goes, they got time for three plays here. Quick, quick throw to the end zone, quick throw to the end zone. If you don't get either one, you kick a field goal. What happens? Don't get it on first down. Second down, Patrick Mahomes throws a little kind of a uh, you know, a, a quick swing pass to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's turning for the end zone. There's Eli Apple. He throws him down, tackled, inbounds, clock runs out to end the first half. And at the time, we never could have known it. But like that play swung the entire game, right? Kansas City, if Kansas City scores on that play, they're tw- it's up 28 to three. And at the very least, they should have gotten a field goal. They're, they would have been up 24 to three, three full touchdowns going into the second half. Instead, they get zero points. And to its credit, Cincinnati held them to three points the rest of the game. And so when I look at the big picture of this game, we're going to talk about Burrow and quarterbacks and all that good stuff. But Cincinnati's defense is kind of the one that won them this game, right? I mean, just think about it. Yes, they struggled early. Yes, they gave up 21 points on the first three possessions. But in the second half, they gave up three points total. And That was on the final drive of the game to force overtime. On top of that, There was the big play that was basically set up. A a touchdown was essentially set up by an interception by the big uh, big defensive lineman that intercepted the Patrick Mahomes pass that set up a touchdown late in the third quarter. And then, of course, there was the interception in overtime that set up what was ultimately the game-winning field goal. And so while we can sit here and do this and do that and talk about Joe Burrow and how great the story is, and we all love Joe Burrow, how about we give a little credit to the Cincinnati defense? You're basically going up against Kansas City, the most dynamic offense of the NFL the last four or five years. And I know they haven't been great all season long. But you're going up against them, and you hold them to three points in the entire second half to allow your offense to make enough plays. You force a bunch of turnovers that set up points. And really, as much as I would love to give Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase all the credit in the world because they're awesome. Let's acknowledge that the Cincinnati defense really won them that game. Now, at the same time, I don't think that we can dismiss the importance of Joe Burrow, his presence, his moxie, his whatever, on that Cincinnati locker room. And I was thinking about this as it pertained to Joe Burrow, as it pertained to the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, this is the great thing about the NFL, right? And you could criticize the NFL for a lot, and I've talked about this before, but Roger Goodell gets crushed for everything. I mean, Roger Goodell could say the sky is blue. And half the media, oh, Roger Goodell isn't nobody's talking about. He hates the sky. How could he say it's blue? Like that's just that's kind of the world we live in. But what's great about the NFL? It's really kind of the only sport that we could have a story like the Cincinnati Bengals, right? Because coming into this season, I think we all thought Cincinnati would be better. But it was just two years ago that Cincinnati was two and fourteen. It was just last year that Joe Burrow got hurt early in the season, doesn't play the entire second half, they end up with a top 10 pick, end up with Jamar Chase. I thought they were crazy. I talked about it last week on where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But at the same time, the NFL is the only sport that you could do this. You could go from two and 14 two years ago without a major, you know, in like, yeah, the NBA, you can sign LeBron or you can sign KD and you can go from worst team to the best team. But realistically, there is no way to organically in-house make this transition the way the Cincinnati Bengals did. But that's exactly what happened. Two years ago, 2-14. Last year, Joe Burrow gets hurt. Now you are headed to the Super Bowl. Can't do that in the NBA, unless you have one of the two or three best players. Can't do it in college football. I love college football. I talk a ton of college football on this show. But let's call a spade a spade here. College football, we know coming into the season, there's two or three teams that can win the national championship in any given year. This year it was Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, maybe Clemson, maybe Ohio State. That was really it. And Cincinnati has its moment, and Michigan has its moment, but there's three, four teams that can win it. College basketball, maybe it's a few more to start the season, but we're starting to get to that point in college basketball where it's like, okay, we kind of know who can win it, we kind of know who can't, we kind of know who's flawed, we kind of know who isn't. But the Cincinnati Bengals? Like five weeks ago, we didn't even know if they were going to win the division. Six weeks ago, we didn't even know if they were going to win the division. Then they, they beat KC, fun game, they go to the playoffs, well, it'll probably end here. Then they beat Vegas, then they beat Tennessee, then they beat the Kansas City Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl. A couple more thoughts on this one real quick before we get out, out of here, talk a little college basketball. First of all, NFL, real quick, that's why you need the quarterback, right? And this is why, and we just talked about it with Matthew Matthew Stafford. That's why I don't ever judge a team for doing whatever it takes to get a quarterback. Give you a quick preview. Next week, at some point, I will have Bill Polian on this podcast. Pre-recorded an interview with Bill Polian last week. If you don't know who Bill Polian is, he worked for ESPN, but he was also the GM of the Buffalo Bills when they went to four straight Super Bowls. He was the GM of the Indianapolis Colts when they went to the Super Bowl and won it with Peyton Manning. And I bring it up because one of the things that Bill Polian and I talk about is the idea that in the NFL, you need that guy at quarterback. You need him. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how good your schemes are, doesn't matter how good your skill position, guys, if you don't have that guy at quarterback, you gotta go get him. And that's why I just credited the Los Angeles Rams a few minutes ago with Matthew Stafford for being so aggressive, giving up all those first-round picks. It's why I kind of question San Francisco. I don't know if Jimmy G's the guy. But I do know you were really close two years ago. You were really close this year. You're really going to give him away? You're really going to trade him to give Trey Lance an opportunity? And I bring it up because this is why you need the quarterback in the NFL. Joe Burrow just completely changed this franchise in two years. And it's because they got the quarterback right. And so you can figure out wide receiver, you can figure out defense, you can figure out this, you can figure out. Think about Joe Burrow. He doesn't even have a good offensive line right now. Imagine if they draft a few offensive linemen that hit. Imagine if they sign a few free agent offensive linemen that hit. They're just getting started. So I was thinking about the quarterback position as it pertains to Joe Burrow. I was thinking about, dra- like like when you get the chance to get the guy, go get him. So why I get annoyed when teams like the Tennessee Titans refuse to trade Ryan Tannehill. Oh, Ryan Tannehill, we're going to pay him all this money. Why? He ain't it. Figure it out. Trade him. Give up whatever you have to. Go get that guy. Because when you got Joe Burrow, when you got Josh Allen, when you got Patrick Mahomes... When he got even Matt Stafford this year, it gives you a chance. Only other real thought, you know, I don't really have anything big on the Kansas City Chiefs. I'd love to sit here and lie and pretend that I had this amazing take on the Kansas City Chiefs. I kind of thought they were fine all year. They're one that I think at some point they got to look themselves in the mirror. I still go back to, if you remember the year after they won the Super Bowl, they win the Super Bowl uh, right before all the crazy COVID stuff against San Francisco ironically enough with Jimmy G and Tyreek Hill I vividly remember this I'm working out and I'm watching first take Stephen A. Smith and Tyreek Hill says yeah we want to win six or seven of these things I remember thinking I get what he's saying but it really ain't that easy and so I bring it up because Casey it just feels like something hasn't been right with them all since they won that Super Bowl against San Francisco go back to last year There was probably about seven, eight, nine games where they fell down, they fell down, they fell down. Figured out a way to rally, figured out a way to rally, figured out a way to rally, figured out a way to rally. rally. Always won those games. Then they go to the AFC Championship game last year, destroy Buffalo. We think they're going to go to the Super Bowl, destroy Tampa Bay, and instead what happens? They get destroyed by Tampa Bay, specifically the defensive front, JPP, all that stuff. Jason Pierre-Paul. Coming into this year, you think, okay, they just got destroyed in the, the Super Bowl, They're going to have a little bit of humble pie. They're going to figure it out. They're going to be okay. Instead, what happens? Week one, fall down a million points to the Cleveland Browns. They rally to win the game, and you're like, dude, they still just don't get it. They just don't get that you can't just show up and expect to flip the switch when you show up to the stadium. Then they have their peaks and valleys. The offense is really bad, but then the defense is good. Then the defense is okay, and the offense figures it out. But it just never felt like they really had their mojo that they had dating back to early last year and the Super Bowl run two years ago. Remember that Super Bowl run two years ago? Remember when they played the Houston Texans and they fell down 24 to nothing? You're like, they got this. And they have ripped off like 51 straight points or something like that. I think they won the game like 51-27 or something. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the offseason with KC. I just think they got to get it right upstairs because... To, to its credit, fourth straight AFC championship game. But you look at this division, or you look at this conference right now, it's not gonna be easy. And I just, I never feel like they were in complete control at any point. I never felt like the the Kansas City Chiefs that we've seen the last three or four years were the Kansas City Chiefs that we saw this year. So I'll be curious to see what happens with them. Really quickly, one last thought. Then I had this and I tweeted it and a lot of you guys liked it. So I just figured I'll share it really quick here. And that's this. You know who else I thought about while the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, and Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals were playing, I thought about Aaron Rodgers. And again, I don't claim to be an NFL expert. I don't claim to be an NFL guru. I don't claim to be an NFL insider. I don't claim to know what's going to happen before it happens. And again, when Tom Brady makes his decision, we'll talk about it, but I'm not going to come on here and tell you I know what's going to happen with Tom Brady. But I bring it up because Aaron Rodgers, it feels like for all intents and purposes, is ready to leave Green Bay. And I get that he doesn't like the management. And I get that they kind of screwed him over. And I get that, oh, by the way, there's some free agents that are not going to be able to spend as much money as they want to spend. But the reports are that he wants to go to either Denver. Denver seems to be the favorite. Nathaniel Hackett, former offensive coordinator with the Packers, is now the head coach in Denver. On top of that, you know the other team that is interesting is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I bring it up because let's just use the Denver Broncos as an example. AFC West, in that division, you now have Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs, Justin Herbert in the LA Chargers, and Derek Carr with Josh McDaniels and the Vegas Raiders. And I bring it up because I thought of Aaron Rodgers during that game, and I said, Aaron Rodgers must be out of his mind. Aaron Rodgers is in the NFC where Tom Brady might retire, where basically outside of Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay, That's the only quarterback-coach combination that you're like, okay, they're really, really, really good. Aaron Rodgers at home against San Francisco couldn't even win a divisional round game at home after a bye. And now he wants to go to Denver? He wants to go to Denver where he's going to have to play Justin Herbert twice a year, Patrick Mahomes twice a year, Derek Carr twice a year. Oh, by the way, Josh Allen is in the same conference as him. Oh, by the way, Joe Burrow is in the same conference as him. Oh, by the way, Lamar Jackson, who has won an MVP, is in the same conference as him. And so I bring it up because I I thought about Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. I'm like, this guy's out of his mind. This guy really wants to go to the AFC and compete with Joe Burrow every year, compete with Justin Herbert every year, compete with Patrick Mahomes every year, compete with Josh Allen every year. Must be crazy. So shout out Aaron Rodgers because I was thinking about him, but it blows me away that he possibly does want to go to the NFC, to the AFC, stay in the NFC, figure out a way. Even if you don't want to be in Green Bay, figure out a way. Because especially if Tom Brady retires, guess what? You're going to have the opportunity to win a lot of games against a lot of bad quarterbacks, a lot of bad coaches. You go to the AFC, good luck getting back to another Super Bowl going against Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert every year. All right, that's what i want to do. I'm going to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to talk a little college hoops. Kentucky goes to Kansas, gets a win at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Kentucky has arrived. They are dominant. They are awesome. We're going to talk about that. From there, we'll talk about some of the other stuff that happened this weekend in college basketball. I will be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our sponsor and your ladies' favorite sponsor. Yeah, I'm talking about Manscaped, the worldwide leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. Fellas, it's 2022. New Year's resolutions. And if you have New Year's resolutions, and we all do, one of them better be to clean up that mess downstairs. Let's be honest, you're a slob, it's disgusting. Well, here's the good news. You can join the millions of men worldwide and use Manscaped and manscaped.com. And here's the best part. If you go to manscaped.com, just because you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, they love me over there at Manscaped, use promo code TORRES on Manscaped.com for any product that you order. You get 20% off plus free shipping, and ladies, as I always tell you, the promo code works for you too. Your man's embarrassed. Your man doesn't think he has a problem. We both know he has a problem, but he doesn't want to talk about his problem. You go to Manscaped.com. You can order the products yourself. With that said, let me tell you a little about some of what Manscaped has going on here in 2022. First of all, I have told you about the Performance Package 4.0 many times. It is a package of all Manscaped's best tools for what's going on below the belt. The Performance Package 4.0 includes the Lawnmower 4.0, which is their official, their best trimmer yet. It's an electric trimmer, advanced skin safe technology that reduces nicks and cuts down there, plus there is a 4K LED spotlight to help you get to all those hard to reach places. Fellas, we've all used the competitors. It's terrifying. It's scary. You need a band aid. Uh, it doesn't work out well. No problem with manscaped, especially if you're using the lawnmower 4.0. But that's not. The, here's the thing: the performance package 4.0 isn't just the lawnmower 4.0. Beyond the lawnmower 4.0, also comes with the crop preserver ball deodorant, the crop reviver ball toner. So after you give that shave, use the crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver ball toner. You're gonna look good, you're gonna smell good. And on top of all that, you got the lawnmower 4.0, you got the crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver, ball toner. Manscaped is also going to give you a free travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs. It doesn't get better than that, that's the performance package 4.0. On top of that, I should also mention, fellas, I told you about this during the holidays. Manscaped also recently released their ultra premium body wash. I am just telling you. Bring it in the shower, rub rub a little bit of it on you. It's body wash, that's what you do with body wash. Use the Manscaped body wash, it is, it smells so good. I'm telling you, uh, literally I brought it out on Christmas Eve at the Torres house. Showing the ladies, uh, look how good this smells. The fellas are saying, how do I order it? Well here's how you order it. Go to manscaped.com, you use promo code TORRES. Performance package 4.0, beyond that, the brand new, ultra premium body wash. It's gonna leave you smelling great, Everything thanks to manscaped to manscape.com. Again, manscaped.com use promo code Taurus 20% off plus free shipping. Everything on the website if you use the promo code Taurus. Fellas, ladies, promo code works both ways. I want to thank you. Your balls will thank you. Manscaped.com promo code Taurus. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, Manscaped, Manscaped manscaped.com. Use promo code TORRES, 20% off plus free shipping. Get yourself some razors, get yourself some body wash, get yourself the lawnmower 4.0, the performance package 4.0, whatever you want. Manscaped.com, promo code TORRES, 20% off plus free shipping. With that said, let's switch gears. Let's talk a little college hoops because it's getting to be that time of year, guys and girls. That's right. Many of you found me via college hoops you said ah that guy's kind of interesting I like him I don't like him but he is interesting and we're going to talk a ton of college hoops here over these next few weeks next few months into March into April into the transfer portal into the NBA draft all sorts of good stuff coming up but I obviously want to focus on this weekend that we just had and you know that I want to focus on one game specifically that happened this weekend in the Big 12 SEC challenge it came at a little place called The Fog. Kansas, top five team in the country, entered the game 17-2, hosting a little old-fashioned blue blood named Kentucky. Of course, Kentucky was coming in. They were banged up. Ty Ty Washington housed his ankle. Jacob Toppin housed his ankle. Oscar Shebway left the previous game, came back. And he kind of sat there and said, listen, I think Kentucky can win, but if they're not healthy, who's really to say? Instead, Kentucky went in there and put a butt-whooping on for the ages. Final score, 80-62. to As Kansas, Kentucky walks straight into the fog and walks out straight with a W. And let me tell you this before we even get into this. I've been watching college basketball a long time, and it's funny, right? Because on this show, I've been critical of Bill Self. I think that he's getting a little bit of a pass in this FBI stuff. We crush Bruce Pearl. We crush Sean Miller. We crush Will Wade. Well, guess who has five level one violations against him? It's Bill Self. But I bring it up to say, as critical as I am of Bill Self for some of the FBI stuff, I do believe that he is a brilliant college basketball coach. I think if you take every element that goes into college basketball, I don't know if he's the best. I don't know who's better, though. Great at the X's and O's. Great in recruiting. Great at player development. That's one thing I don't think he gets credit for. He's not a one-and-done guy. He is at his best when he has a team like this with guys that have been in the program two, three, four years, a guy like Ochai Abaji, a guy like Christian Brown this year, a guy like David McCormick who's been in the program forever. That is where he is at his best, and he has been awesome. We can criticize him for a lot, but one national championship, multiple Final Fours, a million Big 12 titles, and I can say this after watching the game that I watched on Saturday from Kentucky. I have never seen Bill Self look as completely helpless as he did on Saturday against Kentucky, Kentucky just dominated this game in every way that a college basketball team can. They jump out to a 51-31 to lead at halftime, so just think about that at the most basic level. Kentucky put up 51 points in the fog when one of their best players, Tyty Washington, we didn't even know if he was going to play an hour before tip-off, 51 points in the first half Essentially, it was a 20-point game the entire second half. Kansas never really got closer. I know the final score was 18 points, but it was never really close. You never felt like Kansas was in it. Kentucky dominated the boards. Kentucky shot threes well. Kentucky looked like the more um, you know, physically impressive team, more well-coached team, better skills, better development. I mean, everything. I mean, I had so many people who have not really watched college basketball all year texting me during that game and saying, Oh my God, this Kentucky team, are you kidding me? Pump fakes, ball fakes, Kellen Grady, three point shot, Severe Wheeler driving the length of the court, kick, dish, drive. How about this? Oscar Sheebway, who I believe should be the front runner for National Player of the Year right now, he was good. But I mean, would you even put this as one of his top 10 games as a Kentucky Wildcat? I don't know that I would. 17 points, 14 rebounds. That's good for everybody else. But for Big O? Big O just had 21 and 22 the other night against Mississippi State. I don't even know if this was one of his 10 best games as a Kentucky Wildcat. And Kentucky still wins by 18 points at the fog. And so what this says to me in the bigger picture is a few things. The first thing it tells me about Kentucky is this. I was right and anyone who doubted me was wrong. And what do I mean by that? And by the way, that's not me patting myself on the back too much. We do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Because I get a lot of stuff wrong. But what have I been telling you for about three or four weeks now? I have said that I truly believe that this is the first time, 2021-2022, that Kentucky entered January underrated on the national college basketball scene. We spent time talking about Gonzaga. We spent time talking about Purdue. We spent time talking about Baylor. We Spent time talking about UCLA, Duke, whoever. Nobody was talking about Kentucky. And I said, this team is awesome. And I believe they are totally underrated. The problem was, as I've said many times, it was kind of like a chicken and the egg thing, right? It was kind of like that deal where you kind of sit there and say, well, they don't have any great wins, so how can they be great? And I said it's actually the exact opposite. They don't have that great win to confirm how great they are. But what I can tell you is, when they've been healthy, completely destroyed North Carolina. When they were healthy, completely destroyed Tennessee. But the problem was, in the two biggest games of the season, I would argue, or at least of the last four or five weeks, Biggest game of the season maybe was Duke in in the opener. But the last five, six weeks, they go to LSU, bunch of injuries, end up losing that game by a couple points. Then they go to Auburn, Severe Wheeler gets hurt, comes back, Ty Ty Washington goes out with an injury. And so you didn't have that game where you sat there and said, okay, this is who Kentucky is, this is what they look like when they are fully healthy, and that is exactly what we got on Saturday, and we finally have confirmation. Kentucky's, when they're healthy, they're really freaking good. If they had been healthy against LSU, probably would have won at LSU. They'd been healthy at Auburn, could have won at Auburn, not going to say that they would have, but could have. And so to me, this game was the one. This was the one that Kentucky needed to prove to everybody, yes, we have arrived. Yes, we're back. Yes, whatever you thought about us, whatever you thought about Calipari, whatever you thought about last year, it's over. This is a new team with new guys. We are back, and we are ready to compete for a national championship. We got that on Saturday at the Fog. You know what else Saturday was about to me? And I tweeted this and you guys loved it and I want to talk a little bit about it. Saturday confirmed to me something that I think I knew, but I kind of hadn't really considered over the last, I don't know, two or three years. And what that is, is this. It is that John Calipari, and I know everybody loves to criticize Calipari, especially non-Kentucky fans. Everybody loves to criticize Calipari. But you know what Saturday told me? That in my life, there will never be another person more equipped to be the head coach of Kentucky basketball than John Calipari. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's all pretty simple, really. Here are the job descriptions of being the Kentucky College basketball coach. No different than maybe Notre Dame football, Georgia football, Alabama, Alabama. Ohio State, whatever. Here are the descriptions of Kentucky basketball. You have to have the number one recruiting class in the country every year or be pretty close. You have to bring in players good enough to win a national championship every year or pretty close. Now that the transfer portal is a thing, you have to go get the best players in the transfer portal or else. You have to be the most interesting team day in, day out, week in, week out. This is not a, a, a program that you can hide behind football. And I know Kentucky football was great this year, 10 wins, I'm not discrediting what Mark Stoops did. But this is a 365 day a year deal where people care. And oh, by the way, once the games start, you gotta win pretty much every game. And when you don't win, people are gonna question it. People are gonna wonder why. People are gonna tell you, you gotta do this. People are gonna tell you, you gotta change your staff. You gotta change this, you gotta change that, whatever. And oh, by the way, you have to have a team good enough to win a national championship every year. Those are basically the job description, no big deal. Just gotta have number one recruiting classes, got to crush the transfer portal, got to be interesting 365 days a year, got to win every game. When you don't win every game, there's got to be a reason, and you got to compete for national championships every year. This is how tough the Kentucky job is. And we have a ton of Kentucky fans who listen to this show. I told you a minute ago, Kentucky is the number one most downloaded state for this show. So I know we have a ton of Kentucky fans that listen. This is the pressure of the Kentucky basketball job. Kentucky has not made a Final Four since 2015. And people are saying it's final. Four. We we got to make a Final Four. It has been too long. There are great programs in college basketball that, in the modern era, have never made a single Final Four. Like good programs, like Purdue has essentially never made a Final Four in this modern era. Kentucky hasn't made it in six years, and people are saying that you got to make it now. And so, why do I bring it up? It is because, as I was watching the Kansas game, this is what struck me about Calipari and where he has this program right now. It's how not surprising what happened was on Saturday, right? I told you, I had a million people texting me during that game saying, oh, Kentucky looks really good. But nobody was surprised. Nobody was shocked. And so to me, that's what's so incredible about this, how unsurprising it was, especially relative to last year. And this is why Calipari, to me, is the perfect coach for Kentucky. Not saying that Kentucky fans shouldn't want more, not saying that Kentucky fans shouldn't expect another national championship before he retires, not saying that other fan bases can't kind of say, how does he only have one championship? But what I'm saying is this. Think back to this time last year. I just talked about it a minute ago. Literally a year ago today, Matthew Stafford was traded for by the Los Angeles Rams. Think about how their fortunes changed. Well, think about where Kentucky basketball was a year ago at this time. At this time a year ago, people were saying, it's over for Calipari. Can't figure it out, doesn't know what he's doing, does, missing on recruits, the style play's bad, the coaching staff's bad, the development's bad, everything is bad, everything is wrong, what is wrong with Calipari? And you know what he did in basically like a four four-week stretch over the summer? Oh, I don't know. He completely changed up his coaching staff. And for at least one summer, he completely changed up his recruiting style going from the high school one and done to the the transfers. And he completely, oh, by the way, no big deal, just completely changed up the style of play. Was playing a bunch of big guys, was doing this, was doing that. And in one off season and in one basically a month from like mid-March to the early May period. So six weeks. Changed everything in this program. And here they are six months after that. They're going to be in the top five to seven. They just won at the fog by a million. And they have a team that's good enough to win a national championship. And that was really what struck out to me about that Kansas game on Saturday. Is the idea that it did not look weird. That this is just kind of Kentucky, right? Oh, we just won at the fog by 18 points. No big deal. What Kentucky does under Calipari, we go on the road to one of the toughest venues in college basketball. We win by 18, and nobody's really that surprised. And that speaks to the standard that Calipari has created. And I'm just telling you, Kentucky fans, and I'm telling you all other fans, it's not supposed to be this easy. And I tweeted this out too. These jobs are not supposed to look as easy as Calipari makes it look. And again, I understand that Kentucky compensates him really well, and they help him with staff. And whatever facilities he needs, he gets. And now NIL is in place, and Kentucky's crushing it in NIL. But I bring it up to say it's not supposed to be that easy. It's not supposed to be as easy as Calipari looks, where in a six-week period, he snaps his finger, everything in the program changes except for him, and he's got another national championship contender. Think about what we've just seen in the last month in college basketball. Chris Mack couldn't even make it four years at Louisville. Chris Mack couldn't even make it four years at Louisville. Same pressure, same expectations, same standards. Couldn't make it four years. Just cracked, broke, said, I don't want to be here anymore. Pay me. I'll take half of my buyout. I don't want to be here anymore. Penny Hardaway, two number one recruiting classes in the last four years. Hasn't played in an NCAA tournament, snapping at the media. Starting to snap, starting to break, starting to say, "Uh, what kind of stupid question? He's getting mad at the media over nothing. Indiana gone through three, four coaches that couldn't handle it. Mike Woodson, my boy Mike Effin Woodson, maybe he's the guy, maybe he's not. UCLA cracked Steve Alford. UCLA cracked Ben Holland after a couple Final Fours. And here is Calipari every single year for like 15 straight years. Take out a COVID year. And basically every year he has a team good enough to win a national championship. And so to me, That was what stood out about Saturday at the Fog more than anything, is how not surprised everybody was. Now, is everybody surprised maybe that the final score is 18 points? Maybe. But at the end of the day, what was so shocking was how nobody was shocked at all. This is what Kentucky does. We go on the road in big games and we kick butt because this is who we are and this is what we do. And so it's a credit to John Calipari. It's a credit to what he has built. And it's just a credit to, I don't think there's a better coach for this program. And I don't think there will ever be another coach better for this program. There might be a guy who's better at the Xs and Os, you know, if he gets replaced and this is all hypothetical, I don't think it'll happen. Let's say he gets replaced by Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens might be better at the Xs and Os, but is he going to handle the media as well? Is he going to handle recruiting as well? If it's not Brad Stevens, maybe it's somebody with more personality, but are they going to be able to recruit at this level? Are they going to be able to handle the me I, the point I'm trying to make, nobody checks all the boxes like Calipari. And one year after, everybody was saying it's over. He has a team good enough to win the national championship. Appreciate him, Kentucky fans. It ain't always going to be like this. couple other thoughts from the Big 12 SEC Challenge. I do want to get to one other college basketball thought on top of that. First of all, I don't know that any of the other results were really surprising. I know that Alabama beat Baylor. And I think for a lot of people, that would be shocking. Alabama is the most bizarre team in college basketball this year. And one thing I try not to do, I don't want to say overreact. Overreact's not the right word. I come in with strong opinions. Some would call them hot takes. But I try not to use one thing to kind of, whatever. The point I'm trying to make is Alabama beat Baylor. And I know some people want me to come on this show. We got a lot of Alabama fans that listen to this show and say, Alabama's back. They figured it out. I don't know if Alabama's figured it out. Alabama beat Baylor. Alabama has the single weirdest resume in all of college basketball Alabama beat Baylor on Saturday at home they had previously taken care of Houston earlier at home and they beat Gonzaga on a neutral court it's also worth noting by the way earlier this week just this week not a month ago not six months ago not in November they lost to Georgia not sure if you heard Georgia is not very good with Tom Crean earlier this year they lost to Missouri who might fire Quanzo Martin this year They lost to Davidson, who's a really good team, but the game was in Alabama. It's not a game you're supposed to lose to. They lost to Mississippi State. And so while I'd love to yell and scream and get so excited about Alabama, they're totally back, what I would say is this. As much as Alabama has struggled this year, they only had one home loss this season all year. It was to that Auburn team that's ranked number one in the country with Bruce Pearl. And so I don't know if all Alabama's figured it out. I'm not as high on Baylor as everybody else. I think Baylor's good. I don't think they're like super duper elite this year. I never understood the they're better than last year. No, they're different. They do certain things better. They're not better than last year. But that was probably the most interesting result. Alabama 87, Baylor 79. They take care of business. Excited to see them going forward. They actually play Auburn on Tuesday, so we'll see uh, you know if they've really turned a corner or if they are just, uh, you know, if they, if they just had one good game. Most interesting, weird, bizarre team in college basketball. Wins over Baylor, wins over Houston, wins against Gonzaga, losses to Missouri and Georgia. Also in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, Arkansas takes care of, uh, Arkansas takes care of West Virginia. Six straight wins for Arkansas. It's funny because I do a radio interview in Arkansas every single week, and every single week for a while they were asking me, what's wrong with the Hogs? They started 0-3 in SEC play. At one point this season, they were, they're currently 6-5, and 16-5. So at one point, they were 10-5. and five, And I had Arkansas fans telling me they were getting ready for baseball season. There's no reason to even watch basketball anymore. This is what Eric Musselman does, man. And we'll try to get Coach Muss on the podcast here these next few weeks. This is what Coach Muss does, though. Every single year, new roster, bunch of transfers, bunch of changes, whatever, It takes him a while to figure things out. But now they've won six in a row. They beat West Virginia at home. And I really like the makeup of this team. This is just an Eric Musselman, play their butt off, attack the rim, attack the glass, play at a million miles an hour type team. And the defense now has come around. Defense has been really solid. But I really like this Arkansas team a lot. I really like the guys. I really like how Coach Muss has kind of figured out who works, who doesn't. He's putting the ball in J.D. Note's hands and letting J.D. Note go. Stanley Amude transfers playing well. Audis a transfers playing well. Trey Wade a transfers playing really well. And Jalen Williams got in a little trouble with Jalen Williams. I said that nobody brings more energy to his team on both ends of the court than Jalen Williams. Of course, Auburn fans got mad by that. They got a guy named Katie Johnson. But Arkansas really starting to turn a corner. They have won six straight. I really like this team. I will say, they got two very manageable games coming up at Georgia and then Mississippi State at home. And if they win those two, guess what? Next Wednesday, they host Auburn. And that will be a mega game featuring the number one team in the country right now. And I think a team that could be 18-5 and five at that point and really peaking. Just mention Auburn. Good win for them. They take care of Oklahoma. The only really thought I have on this game is credit to them because Bruce Pearl on, on on this podcast on Thursday, he talked about, he he was pretty nervous, right? You guys listen to the interview? What did he say? He said, look, we're going to take an L at some point this is what happens. It's part of college basketball and that Oklahoma team needs to beat us. That Oklahoma team needs a win. That Oklahoma team is going to get off the bubble if they beat us. And so because of it, credit to Auburn, they took care of business in that one. Texas-Tennessee, I don't really have a great feel for that when I was hosting radio when that game went final. Credit to Chris Beard, though. I've criticized Texas a lot, but Chris Beard, I thought it was cool how he recognized Rick Barnes. Really cool story uh, that came out on Sunday with Rick Barnes, where apparently he's been sending Dick Vitale a daily prayer. Dick Vitale tweeted about it. Dick Vitale, of course, going through all sorts of cancer and chemotherapy. So kind of a cool story there. Tennessee loses to Texas. I do have one last college basketball story before we get out of here. And it's kind of a random one. It's kind of a team that we haven't talked about much, but it's a team that I believe deserves recognition. And a team that is getting virtually no recognition on the national scale. And it is, drum roll please. It is the Providence Friars, okay? And I know I haven't talked to a ton of Providence basketball on this podcast, but this is a team that deserves acknowledgement. On Sunday, they hosted Marquette, Marquette playing really well under Shaka Smart, it's worth noting. They fall down early, they're trailing most of the game, they rally to win the game, final score 65-63, it's worth noting, earlier in the week they played at Xavier, trailed for most of that game, rallied to win, and Providence College in the Big East, you would think Big East Power Six School is now 18-2 and this season. You would think a team that is 18 and 18-2 would get some recognition, yet Providence essentially gets none. So first of all, I want to acknowledge them. I believe they are by far, by far, the most under-acknowledged team in college basketball. 18-2, and two, this is their resume. They have a win at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's currently tied atop the Big Ten standings, okay? Wisconsin's a really good team. They were banged up in that game, it is worth noting. But Wisconsin's tied for first place in the Big Ten. Providence won at Providence, uh, at Wisconsin. They've won at UConn. UConn also banged up. UConn's a top 10 team. They're on a six-game win streak. Providence beat UConn at UConn. Providence won at Xavier earlier this week. Providence beat Texas Tech, who's a really good team. They play Texas on Wednesday, or Tuesday, or whenever it is. And so I bring it up to very simply say, this Providence team is really freaking good. They beat Xavier earlier this week think about that. One at Wisconsin, top 15 team. One at UConn, top 15 team. Beat Texas Tech at home, top 15 team. Beat Marquette at home on Sunday, top 25 team. Beat Xavier on the road, top 25 team. They get no recognition. If you're looking for a team that is completely off the radar, that isn't in that Gonzaga, Duke, Kentucky, Baylor, Arizona group, that I think can make a real run, it's Providence. Because for years, Providence has just kind of been this 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 low-post banging team. But I actually like their pieces this year. First of all, they shoot the three ball better than they have in previous years, close to 34%. They take care of the basketball, only about 11 turnovers per game. Their guard play is really good. I think they got some nice pieces, some more versatile pieces than they've had in the past. They got a big guy named Noah Horkler who can step out and hit shots. Their guards are good. Al Durham transfer from Indiana. Jared Bynum, they just got a lot of really good pieces. Justin Manaya Omar Manaya's son, for you baseball fans, former Mets GM, his son plays at Providence. But there is one other reason that I don't think Providence is getting enough credit, and it's not just because it's Providence. I've heard for years that the Big East never gets the credit that they deserve because they do not play on ESPN, okay? And so it's part of the coverage, and by the way, this is not because I work for Fox, I'm criticizing ESPN, and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not that. But what I will say is for years, people have said, look, ESPN's going to talk about these teams because they have to, because you can't talk about the sport without talking about them, but they're not really going to hype them up because there's no benefit to ESPN hyping up a league, the Big East, that they don't have a TV contract with. And so instead they'll focus on the Big 12, instead they'll focus on the Pac-12, instead they'll focus on the SEC, whatever. And I always knew that, but I never really believed it. But this year, this year I believe it, Providence is eighteen and freaking two, and they were ranked seventeenth in the country this week. And it's because they get no national exposure, nobody talks about them, nobody covers them, and it's because I don't believe they're on ESPN. And so ESPN during all these games, all these half times, Jay Billis, Dan Schulman, they have no reason to hype up Providence. And the same way they don't have a reason to hype up UConn, who, by the way, to date, is still the only team that's beaten Auburn. They have no reason to hype up Marquette, which was on a seven-game win streak in a power conference this week. First team ever to start 0-3 in Big East play and then win seven straight games. Marquette's a really good team. I think Shaka Smart should be National Coach of the Year consideration. Xavier's been really good. And so I just bring it up to say I want to give Providence a shout-out, but I really believe they just haven't gotten the acknowledgement they deserve strictly because they don't play on ESPN. So... What's my job as Aaron Torres of the Aaron Torres Podcast? It is to give Providence the respect they deserve. Shout out Providence, 18 and two. I think they're about a top seven or so team in college basketball. I don't know if they're quite in that upper, upper, upper tier, but they're right there after that. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. We are going long. It is really late. It is well after midnight here on the East Coast. Did not start recording until after the two football games. So I hope you guys enjoyed it and appreciate all your guys' support. Quick scheduling note, um, I will be on the road this week. So I'm actually going to the Arizona-UCLA game on Thursday night in Tucson. I've never been to Tucson before. Really excited about that game. AT Media will be in the house in Tucson Really excited to be at that game, and I just bring it up to say this, is that I don't think the scheduling of the Aaron Torres pod will change at all. I should have a new show out on Wednesday, but just be ready. I'm, I'm hoping I have a new show, but I'm not positive. And this is a big week, by the way. Chris Beard and Texas go to Texas Tech. Auburn's host in Alabama. So this is a big week in college hoops. so I, I hope to have a new show Wednesday, but I cannot promise. Obviously, it's going to be touch and go, kind of seat in my pants, but I go out, I'll be in Tucson late Tuesday, practice on Wednesday, I'm going to go check out everything going on at at Arizona, and then Thursday is the game, but we'll get you a couple good shows. Before we get out of here, I want to thank you guys for listening to today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for your support. January is the most downloaded month in the history of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I feel like I say it at the end of every month. But the last two, three, four months, it has been true every month as we continue to break download records. So thank you guys and girls for your support. We also break a record for most downloads per episode this month as well, assuming nothing crazy happens in the final day here of January. So thank you guys for listening. Before we get out of here, make sure you're subscribed. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, and give us a quick five stars if you don't mind. Just a quick five stars on Apple or Spotify. Also, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. If you have not checked out our gear, Aaron Torres Online, Aaron Torres Online merchandise, where you can get your Revenge Tour T-shirt. If you're a Kentucky fan, pick up your Revenge Tour T-shirt. DM me if you need details. Arkansas fans, get your Big Pig Invasion shirts. Indiana fans, get your Mike and Woodson shirts, and we'll have some more for uh, everybody else out there. Before we get out of here, I want to thank you guys. That's it. I think that's it. I did everything. I just realized. That's it. Time for me to get out of here. So thank you guys for listening. I'll be back on Wednesday. Uh, Again, I'm going to be traveling. We'll figure out all that good stuff, but thank you guys for your support. Thank you guys for everything that you've done, and with that said, it's time for me to get out of here. So with that said, shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to the Providence College Friars who deserve some acknowledgement. I'll be back probably on Wednesday. New episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast.